Hey everybody, welcome back. For those of you following our podcast, I'm sure you've noticed by now, we took a few months off break. The big reason for that is we've been working very hard on building Aurelius version 2, which is our user research and insights platform. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But on this week's episode, we have Steve Portugal, who he himself is a user researcher, user experience designer, author, uh, speaker, and all-around contributor to our field of user research and user experience design. We cover a number of topics in our chat, like why you should be doing research, maybe more than you are today. We also talk about the standard things of how you convince stakeholders that research is important and that we should be doing more of it. We also deep dive onto some user research topics like the difference between user research analysis and research synthesis. What's the difference there and what does that mean? On that note, I want to mention Aurelius version 2 is a user research and insights platform to help us do exactly that. Figure out what we learn from customers, get everything in, tagged, organized, and into key insights so we can build awesome designs and features faster. We're still in beta at the moment. If you want to check us out, head on over to our website, send me an email, whatever you like, and we're happy to send you an invite while we're still in beta. So. One final thing is we also talked about Steve's new book, Doorbells, Danger, and Dead Batteries. If you're interested in checking that out, and believe me, you are, go ahead to the show notes for this episode for 20% off at Rosenfeld Media. But let's not wait any longer. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Aurelius Podcast, episode 14 with Steve Portugal. He is the principal of Portugal Consulting and user researcher and author and speaker of all things UX. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited to chat with you, particularly about user research, insights, analysis, Generally speaking, how do we figure out what we are learning from the people we're trying to design stuff for? I love it. Cool. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, the first thing I kind of want to ask you is I'm sure you get this question a lot or maybe you used to and, uh, and less so more uh, now. But if somebody were to say, you know, why should we be doing user research? How would you answer that? Can I can I speak to the meta part of it first? Of course, because um, because I, I think you raise an interesting point. How how prevalent is that question? Um, and it, it's funny. I just was asked to give a talk to uh, actually to a school uh, a, a school that has an interesting innovation program for like K to twelve, and um, I ended up putting together a talk about why do user research? And I was sort of shocked that at this late stage, I mean, I've been doing this, I've been as a consultant, so you have to have lots of collateral and, and so on. I didn't actually have that talk or, or you know, or a, a slide deck or any set of things uh, to, to, to put together about that. And um, I don't know how that, thought that was interesting. I've maybe been lucky uh, to speak to people about user research when they're already at the point when they understand that they should be talking about user research. Um, so it was an interesting moment for me to sort of, 
oh, how have I sort of managed to go this long without being able to to answer the question why? You know, other people have sort of been answering that for me or uh, and, and sort of pre-qualifying who I have conversations with. So it was a great it was a great opportunity for me to kind of circle back and um, you know think about why why should we do user research and um, you know if you're in UX if you're in design if you're in user research sort of all these sort of adjacent overlapping fields or professions um, you know we also come up against the like the theories of innovation I mean that's sort of buried within it right and and what is innovation and I'm I, that's a terrible question. It's a terrible question to try to answer, but where does new stuff come from? And uh, I, I think in the user research world, or the the prejudice about user research is that it's sort of one thing. You find out what people need, and then you go make the thing, and then you make sure that the thing is right for them, and then you know you, you ship it to them. Um, but of course, you know we all know there's a million examples where. Uh, things were developed that didn't make sense, that didn't follow any kind of uh, model that would be on somebody's slide share or their medium post. And um, right, so you get all these, what are these theories of innovation? And what are the, Larry Keeley has Doblin's 10 pillars of innovation. I don't, I don't know what they are, but you know, I, I can't even cite it. There's so much stuff that I can't even cite because it's just, I know it's just all out there. Um, so it, it, it made me think. Uh, you know, in reflecting on this a little bit recently, like there are there are many ways to get there. There are many ways to get to get to something good. Um, and so this this talk that I ended up giving, um, I, I sort of looked at three different ways to put something new out in the world. Um, and I tried to not bang the drum of user research, but just look at these these different approaches equally. Um, even though I'm obviously very biased because of what I practice and what I think works. Um, so one is to be a genius and get it right. So um, I'm sorry, that's a tactic. So one is to focus on the solution. There's people, there's you know entities that are like really good at making the thing. The thing solves something. Um, and so you get like a James Dyson. He works and works and works and iterates and comes up with five thousand prototypes of the. You know the original vacuum, and um, you know Steve Jobs is obviously the classic example of of being a genius and getting it right. Um, but the world of solution focus is sort of littered with inventiony types. You know the Sky Mall catalog, that sort of thing. Um, the other approach I looked at is um, is looking at problems. I think that's sort of classic UX, right? Find a need and, and fix it. Um, but there's lots of different kinds of problems, right? There's the, there's problems where if we could identify the problem, then we know how to fix it. And there's problems where even if we identify the problem, it's too elusive. And, and I, I can't help but note that UX and design has gotten into fixing democracy, solving homelessness, like mm -hmm. really complicated things. Um, at the same time, um, I don't know if you ever follow on Twitter the uh, the WTFUX hashtag or, or you know various <laughs> things like that. Mm -hmm. Now those things tend to go viral among our little world, right? Of uh, entry fields for phone numbers where it's ten digits and each one is a pull down that goes from zero to nine. And so I think 
the fact that problem focus has kind of escalated all the way up to, uh, you know, changing the world when the regular problems of like, how do you input a number? We're still shipping stuff that sucks. Uh, um, so that focusing on the problem is sort of an interesting thing as well. Like you can be successful at it, uh, but there's sort of a scope, there's a massive scope creep in focusing on the problem. And then the last area that I talked about was like focusing on people. Mm. So this is, this is the part finally after 12 minutes where I answer your question, um, <laughs> right? Like why, why is user research important? Um, you know, it's looking at spaces where we don't know what we don't know. It's understanding people's mental models and their lives and their meaning and their value. And in many, if not all cases, we find that that's a completely different story than how the people that make the thing are thinking about their thing and how it fits into people's lives. Um, banks going through a merger want to understand how the merger is impacting people, which is a, a valiant thing to be to be doing and there's no critique there uh, but people don't put the bank at the center of their you can imagine some venn diagram or something like that their lives are about their lives and the bank is pretty far out and what the bank is going through as a transition is like even further out so you know the bank as an example is trying to design all sorts of experiences and features and problem solutions and so on around their internal model. It sounds sort of stupid when I say it, right? People don't care about the bank, but um, you know, you get deep into something and you're just so completely immersed in your view of the world, your culture's view of the world, how you're structured. And um, you know, coming back with a uh, an accurate contrasting model that says, this is what's going on for people then invites you to change uh, how, where, what you create solutions, you innovate. Yeah. Uh, so I, I should stop because that's a very long ramble and sort of framework around, uh, you know, how I talk, how I've been talking about sort of why research. Um, yeah, I said I was going to stop. I'll stop. Yeah, no, no. So I think that there was a lot of really good stuff in there. There's one thing that I heard you say I kind of want to latch on to. And, you know, you said it sounds stupid that we might say, oh, well, nobody cares about the bank. <clears throat> I disagree only because I don't think it's common knowledge enough uh, that folks have this understanding that the majority of people, and I'm talking like greater than 95% of the world's population, <laughs> right, are focused entirely on themselves. That's not a knock at people. That's speaking to the basics of humanity. Some of the things that I've been reading recently, um, you know, in related fields to ours, like behavioral economics and just basic psychology, speak very truly to this. It's been true for as long as we know, right? So the, the interesting reason why that's important for me to pull out of what you said is that, you know, if you're doing, if you're not doing user research, you're not understanding what's important to somebody. If you're not understanding what's important to somebody, you're only delivering what's important to you. I like that. Okay, and that's that's good because I think the reason I kind of backpedaled was I don't want to diminish the value of user research because uh, if we can decide up front that hey, your merger is not important to the, your customers the way you think it is, um, you know, that sort of says, well, let, why are we bothering to do this research? We already know what the answer is, and I think you you pointed out 
that what I fail to do is is that what you bring back is a rich and complex model about what is important. And mm-hmm. it's not simply that, hey, people that make things, your thing isn't, isn't important, but we can put it in context and we can find um, uh, the, liaison, the liaisons or the connective tissue, if you will, that, um, that help us frame and talk about uh, the things that the things that we want them to care about uh, in the context of what's important to them. Sure. So it helps us, I think, bridge that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, would it be fair to say that user research would give us an answer to how we could relate what's important to, say, us as a business or company? User research gives us the answer to how we can relate why that should be important to you as a customer or individual. Yeah, and I think you're saying something important too. That because uh, you're describing the the output or the outcome of research in terms of uh, what we're able to answer, um, and that's that's important. I think if you're new to user research, you sometimes think it's sort of data gathering or uh, or aggregating or tabulating, and it's sort of uh, facts and figures as opposed to an action plan. Um, you know, or, or, or how are we going to talk about this in this way? Um, and you know, that's, that's some of the greatest stuff about research is that it, you know, you take a really specific problem that's rooted in an organization, its culture and the world out there and its culture, and you learn new things and then you, you solve or you, you create, you create something new, a new point of view, a new direction, um, you know, and, and the, the classic, uh, you know, the classic, how might we question that, that shows up in kind of, uh, if I use air quotes, design thinking type of stuff, um, like that sort of falls under the purview of strategy or designers, uh, and so on. And researchers are sometimes, you know, just the ones that do the interviews or do the sessions or, you know, or run the survey, um, that's, but, you know, in, in my practice, kind of the way I was brought up, we always were about trying to answer, I mean, what you just said, trying to answer that question. How can we uh, talk about your thing in a way or how can we change your thing or make a new thing in a way that's going to get over the barriers, that's going to have impact, that's going to have value, that's going to have meaning. Uh, you know, the research is about articulating and... Uh, uh, that new thing, like that's, uh, you know, I said I wasn't going to use this word, but the innovation, the thing that you're going to do comes out of the research. Um, if you use research to sort of, uh, to, I mean, there's many kinds of research and there's many kinds of questions that come up in any, in any life cycle of a product. And, and so I don't want to say it all has to be like that, uh, but just that that power is there. You know, you have the ability in your analysis and synthesis to, point towards uh, driving those decisions that are that are brand new to the world, brand new to the company. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, so, you know, I think that this is really great conversation. And one of the things that we're kind of touching on, and you even mentioned it, if you're new to user research, here's what this means. Well, so a few things there, <clears throat> you know, for those listening to this podcast, I would have to believe 
they're already pretty convinced that research is important. They probably do it today or they know that it's important to the work that they do. I know that I often get asked, how do we convince somebody? How do we convince somebody else that's in charge of the budget or the authority to go and do this stuff? That it's important, that it can have the impact that indeed, you know, we are talking about right now. It's a classic question, um, you know, and, and certainly uh, people that are in the you know, kind of the UX team of one, um, you know, there's kind of a whole army of people out there um, working inside organizations with certain amount of buy-in, but maybe not as much as they're told from podcasts and conferences and webinars that they should have. And, you know, when I hear from those people, I hear lots of creative things. Um, I had someone in a, in a big corporation tell me that uh, their whole, the way they approached it was sort of very sort of uh, non-emotional and logic and, and very logical. Uh, it was around uh, asking a bunch of questions. Um, um, you know, what, what kind of decision do we need to make? Uh, what information do we have about that? Has it worked? Has what we've done in the past worked? Uh, and so they, it was not about, here's what I need. It was sort of facilitating and, and pointing back out, you know, almost like, what do you need? Um, okay, so then based on those things, here's kind of what we, what we can do. So I, I think trying to get the, can we get seven days? Can we get 25 days? Can we get this much money? I think that's, I think you're sort of seeding the ground to the other person, C-E-D-E, seeding. Um, uh you know, you have to keep the keep the conversation where it's relevant to them, uh, the people that you're trying to persuade. Uh, I think I always think like, don't talk about process. Talk about outcomes. Which that that mm -hmm. little that little example that my colleague used was really about the outcomes. If you say we need to do user research, then I think you're setting yourself up for we don't have time, we don't have budget, we don't know how. Uh, if you can talk more about, um, we need to make sure that we're making the right decisions. Uh, we need to make sure we have the information. Um, you know, we have some risks here with this product. We have some risks with these decisions. Um, you know, thinking about that, I think position, it, if one thing it does is it positions the person asking for the resources as a leader, not as, oh, this is going to sound really cheesy, as a leader, not as a needer. Mm. That's terrible. That's a nice buzzword um, bingo you just got there. That just sounds so stupid. But, you, you know, I, I think there's a, there is that, well, how can I? They won't let me. Um, and and that's, that does sound very needy. Um, but saying, hey, here's, here's the way forward. Um, I've seen people be really creative in um, doing, like, not enough, but, but something. And doing something maybe doesn't give you the data, the re reliability, all those things you need. Um, but it starts to change minds. Mm -hmm. It starts to, because I think part of what's great about research is the process where, uh, you know, that bank example or some other example where you think the world is this way and you talk to one person, um, and, you know, that, that white face look that your clients or your colleagues get when they kind of come out and they're like, oh, that's, we're thinking it's, it's totally different. Um, that's not actionable, but that starts to point to the value in a, 
in a, in a different way. If that first example was kind of persuading with logic and, you know, here's how we're going to get to the right result. I think there's also this emotional hit of crap. We're, we're just, we don't get it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and so I, I think there's a bunch of different things that you can do like that. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. I think that's great. And I would even go back to the example of the things I've been sort of studying and reading recently. Again, if we just, if we operate on the basic premise that everyone we meet is almost entirely focused on themselves, right? And again, not a bad thing, but if we operate on that premise, when we're going and trying to convince somebody that user research is important, I love that approach, actually. We just simply saying, well, tell me about the problems that you have. What is it that you're trying to do in your role? What information do you have? How, how much confidence do you have? And allowing them to express that. And it's fine. I mean, I'll share a, a quick story of my own. I did that very recently with a project that I was on. It was a mobile app. And the person felt very confident in sort of the backlog and the roadmap that they wanted to build to get towards something. And I was working obviously more with the design team, the, the people who were making the product. And they were very confident that was not true, or at least it wasn't prioritized well. And I, I went in and I started first by understanding, I, I talked to this stakeholder and I said, what are the things that you're trying to do and accomplish for the business with this mobile app? Setting good goals. And then I just started talking to that person about what do you know about how to do that? What do we have planned that will help us do that? And then even if there were things that lined up there, again, as you mentioned, asking good questions, just simply saying, how much confidence do we have? Or, or more importantly, what information do we have that will help us execute that well? So maybe we're confident that it's the right thing to do. Maybe we're not as well informed on how to act, act on that as we should be. And just getting to those things, I mean, this was a team, frankly speaking, who had never done user research on this product. And in the span of a week, we had a prototype built and usability testing planned to iterate before we launched the newest version of it. And while that may have not been enough, as you said, it was something and it actually greatly improved the product. Right. I think one of those questions can be, what's the risk if we don't have the right information? Um, because, right, so you you found the time and you, you right-sized the research approach with the research question, with the business question. You know, that I think is some wizardry there. Um, <laughs> right, because, uh, you know, they could have, you could have all said, well, let's, Let's try to understand the value proposition. Let's try to understand the overall use context. Well, no, we're not going to do that right now or here um, because we can't or we shouldn't or whatever reason. So, uh, you know, finding the right piece of research to do, the right method to answer the right question, um, you know, in the within the constraints. Um, that's the wizardry. Uh, and I, I think so back to those people that are sort of saying, Hey, how can I persuade someone else to let me do research? Um, I think part of the way to, to mitigate that is to be able to, um, that research isn't a monolith, right? Is to be able to pull apart. Um, well, now that I understand your problem and our constraints, here's my recommendation. Here's my 
you know, here's my recommendation for triage. Here's my recommendation for, I'm not going to keep with the metaphor, but if we want to just, you know, do something very quick that's going to solve these problems, we can do this. If we want to do something else that's going to address this risk, then it's this investment and it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce this outcome. Um, and so to have some vocabulary around different approaches, different methods, different investment, different consequences, so that, um, that yeah, again, research is not a monolith. It's, 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 a, it's a whole, it's an evolving palette of, of tools to choose from wisely. Um, and I think being able to have that conversation is a way to help people buy into research because they can see there's a lot of different choices and they understand the trade-offs. You're empowering them. If we do nothing, this could happen. If we do this, this could happen. If we do this, this could happen. So right. I think your example is a great, we did this chunk and that addressed the need given the, the context that we were in. Right. Well, I think that's great advice. And it's a good segue into something else you had said much earlier on in our conversation. I can imagine a lot of folks who you know have not done user research before or are part of organizations that have not accepted the value of it or just on the cusp of doing so. I can imagine them asking, this all sounds great, but how do I get started? How do I, how do I simply get started doing this user research to provide that value and get those answers? Yeah, I think doing research is, uh, and I sort of alluded to this, uh, or I threw these terms out without defining them. Um, I think figuring out what you want to do, like the, before you do any research, it's, it's, it's figuring out what to do, which is kind of what you're saying about how to get started. Um, I think about the business question, the research question, and the research method. So the business, and I think it's, we've sort of talked about this without using those terms too specifically. The business question is, what do we what do we want to do as a business? We want to make sure that our, you know, our, our app is successful among, you know, existing users of something else, or we want to create a new product or we want to whatever, what does the business want to do? The research question is, what do we want to learn? So we want to understand if this prototype, um, you know, is usable. We want to understand, uh, you know, what's, brings value for people in their uh in their relationship with financial institutions whatever that's a question that has at its root something we're going to learn from people the research method is well what are we going to do to get at that um so that i think is sort of the and, and then you have to plan your method right you have to figure out well who are we going to talk to how are we going to get those people what are we going to do with them what do we do with the data so i, I think you need to understand what this series of steps are. Um, so who are we going to talk to is a, it's a complex question, right? Who can we get? Who are we selling to? Who do we want to sell to? Who are um, people that are uh, analogous inspirational examples, right? So we want to understand uh, sort of the most intense form of collaboration we might go talk to people that are, uh, that are uh, firefighters because they work under pressure and they, you know, have an, un or we might talk to improvisers or whatever. We might find somebody that's sort of an expert um, and they don't have to be always that outlandish. They can be, um, you know, people that use, um, you know, we're making the slack of light bulb installation. Well, let's go talk to 
like Slack users to sort of see what is slacking about for them and get some perspective to see how that's going to apply to our, our light bulb people. So it's not always, I think the, the, the most naive view is talk to the people that use our thing because that, but then all you're really doing is sort of finding things that need fixing and fixing them. But if you want to step back a level, you can, you can think more broadly about who to talk to. What are you going to do with them is a, is a whole methodology design question. Um, and I would like mm -hmm. pick up a book and uh, go on SlideShare and start reading about, you know, top five things to do for usability testing or whatever method you think you want to do. Um, Christian Rohr has a really great diagram, um, which maybe we can link to it in the show notes. It's a, uh, it's a paper called when to use which user research method. And he's just mapped everything uh, pretty much and talked about what kind of questions it answers because there's behavioral questions and attitudinal questions. And he really, uh, and there's a, even a few places in the paper where it's almost like a little, um, uh, and like turn the crank, like put your question in here, turn the crank, and here's the method you should use. So that's a <laughs> really, really great place to get started. It's sort of overwhelming because it has everything, but if you kind of dig into it, you can see what you might do. Um, you know, then you have to go talk to people, which is scary, right? That's a thing that stops people because that's an intimidating process because uh, there's a sense, ooh, we have experts. They know how to do it well. And, um, you know... I don't know. You could say, well, bad data is worse than no data, but I think getting out there is better than not getting out there. Um, and I think it's a thing that you just get better at with practice. And you can't practice if you don't start. So just start, right? Um, you know, listen to this podcast yeah. and think, what what are they doing right and what are they doing wrong? Like you can, you start to see that everywhere around you. You can hear it, listen to... Um, listen to Terry Gross and hear how she interviews people or, you know, any sort of interview gives you perspective onto what's working and what's not working. So you can always learn that more. Um, yeah, I think, and then on and on it goes, how do you make sense of what you've learned? How do you sort of start to turn that into, you know, uh, actionable stuff? I think it's more that we can, more than we can maybe sort of bullet point in this, in this, in this session, but, you know, right. thinking about that whole process and sort of filling in, your knowledge and skill all the way along. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's what I, you know, the way I would approach getting started is to think about that whole framework. Awesome, awesome. I'm gonna try to summarize what you've said and you keep me honest, Steve, okay? Basically, it starts with an understanding of the business and its goals. Then it's forming the question you want answered from research, right? And from there, it's simply going and talking to people. Now, that's that could be through a number of different different methods, and you should be thoughtful about that. Uh, but going and talking to people, right, and, and getting an answer to that question, but making sure it was a question that ties back to something important to the business. And then finally, you have the answers <laughs> that people gave you, right, the data. And you spend some time, you figure out what it is you learn there and how to best apply it. Is that fair? That's good. And maybe we can we zoom into one piece just a little bit. Definitely. Um, it's, you know, it's the, the going and talking to people. Because um, you can, here's some of the things you can play with. You can show people a thing or not. So you can ask them what they're doing and see what they're doing. Um, you can show them a thing. That thing can be uh, 
your sort of production, like a thing that you've made, I'm trying to be very generic here by calling it a thing. Um, it can be the app that exists. It can be uh, an analogous app or product. It can be uh, something speculative. Uh, it can be, you know, they talk about high fidelity and low fidelity. You can do a lot, a lot of different things uh, in the interactions with people that are about putting something in front of them that drives that conversation towards uh, interacting with an, an artifact that gets introduced into the world. Um, and I'm trying to use vague language, you know. It's not, it's, you could, might just be testing your thing. Hey, does this work for you? Can you use this? Um, you know, it's, God forbid you actually say, do you like it? But that sort of <laughs> thing. Um, uh, but you can do many, many kinds of things with just putting stuff in front of people as part of that conversation with them. And so just just take that sentence, putting something in front of people, um, you could probably come up with 50 different things that you could do, all of which are, you know, mostly easy, depending on how far you want to go, uh, but let you dig into that research question and therefore that business question in a lot of different ways. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of power just, I think, in that sentence. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we zoomed in on the whole talking to people part of this, and I think that's great. I completely agree with you that we could spend a week talking about this and probably not cover, you know, the uh, the broth and bones of it. But one thing that I know for sure, I, I certainly get asked a lot of questions about, and you probably do too as well, Steve, is how do we make sense of all this information we've gathered, right? So this is a problem that's actually happening. And I see this across our entire industry. I talk with a lot of different folks and they kind of say, listen, we've got all this research data and maybe I made a report. And I talked about how this is relevant to the thing or the project, right? Or the product improvements that we're working on and why that's relevant. But we have all this information that can be applied elsewhere or we have all this information that exists that's not specific to what we're working on that's important and we need to share with people, right? So basically just this analysis, this sense-making, I think you even called it earlier. How do we do that once we've gathered this information from our customers or our users? There's a bunch of different things tied up in that. Um, and you just can hear me sort of sighing and struggling, like <laughs> where, to, where to start. I mean, the, the, it, it is a problem. It is a challenge. Um, uh, and, you know, you come into organizations where there's, there is all this data and they don't know what to do with it. And so they commission another study, uh, you know, in, in spread out organizations, they commission a study, which a weird phrase, isn't it? They go out and do research, uh, when something similar has already been done, but they don't know cause they're too siloed or spread out. Um, and so, you know, there are these sort of enterprise level solutions that I hear people talking about. Um, I haven't heard anything that's successful. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I'm just telling you I don't know about it. But sort of these knowledge management systems. Um, uh, and, and so I think that's sort of, that's, um, it's a bit of a wet dream, right? Like it's something anyway, like if only there was a way to, that's probably the wrong metaphor and not because it's inappropriate, just because it it doesn't really say what I was going to say. It's not a pipe dream. It's not. There's 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 a fantasy. I guess that's where I went with wet dream. There's a there's a fantasy that uh, that kind of holds out there. If we could just 
organize these digital assets in a certain way. Um, but it's like it's like a library without a librarian. I think like who organizations where um, some work has been done and someone knows, hey, you know, you got to go talk to Joanne because I think she did something like that last yeah. year. So that's my hope. Um, um, and, and so I think there are sort of ways to mitigate some of that. I, I, I like the example from MailChimp where they, um, they create three deliverables for everything. Um, and I'm going to mess this up, but they, uh, they have this big Evernote database where sort of all the raw stuff goes in. Um, they create like a more traditional research report. And I think they create like an email level thing. So they always are, are outputting to multiple audiences, like intentionally every time. So, yeah. um, and then those things can get shared and accessed by pe people of different ways. Um, but you've got, you know, MailChimp has created a standard for how user research gets documented. And then that starts to create culture around what's shared. So it's not really about, to me, it's not about those artifacts. It's about creating the consistency of those artifacts and then, you know, when that when you're in that meeting and someone says, gee, I wonder about this and this, someone in that meeting knows, oh, there's something. Um, I'm either going to get you in touch with Joanne or I have it in my Gmail history here or whatever, that it starts to make the, the knowledge or the awareness of that knowledge a little more viral within the culture. Mm-hmm. And then, so here's my counterpoint, I guess, to, to some of this. Um, I just read an article by Andy Budd, and I'm sort of mentioning these things, thinking we can put them in the show notes or going to find them as, as references. Um, and he makes the point more eloquently than I'm going to be able to recap, but he talks about um, that, you know, he calls it design research. Design research is experiential. It goes back to what we were saying before about that, you know, doing something that, that helps your client or colleague get that, you know, that white look of horror on their face. Um, there's something about that that just is not, that's not data. That's experience. And that changes who you are. Um, and that one reason why studies get conducted over and over and over again is so that people can have those experiences. Um, and, you know, I, I might be twisting Andy's words a little bit, but to think of that as a feature, not a bug, um, you know, we should always be talking to customers. We should always be going out. We should get everyone out and sort of seeing how they're different. Uh, that doesn't seem very efficient when you kind of get this data um, and you've got video and transcripts and photos. So I don't know. I don't have an answer. I think, I think sort of there's multiple sides to it that are sort of equally true um, and that I don't think anyone has the answer. So you might have a MailChimp that is sort of optimized around a process uh, and I think been very successful at it, but I think this is a, it's a tension or it's an ongoing dialogue at, you know, any organization with enough researchers to be producing enough data where it starts to become a, an issue. And, and we can say what's, we can obviously kind of lop off the crappy versions where it just, it disappears. Those people move on to other jobs and no one kind of knows. Um, but I think sort of the, what's working better is, is still very elusive. So you have these sort of emergent, better practices. I don't think anyone's cracked this. And so Andy is kind of challenging us, I think. And again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Andy Bud is kind of saying, well, if this is about the experience, maybe that's all right. 
Sure. It's it's a funny uh, and timely reference. We recently had Andy on the show. Uh, has some very brilliant thoughts around this, and uh, I would invite those to go and go ahead and listen to that episode. You know when and where appropriate. But oh, so he already th- answered this. So I would not know. <laughs> no, no. All right. I would not Sorry, say, Andy. I would not say he answered this. No, no, no. I was just uh, I was just giving us a plug that Andy had yes. been recently on the show. We talked about some similar stuff. But something that you said there, you know, I think is a, a useful distinction to call out, right? So we have an acute problem with research data and analysis, and we have a chronic problem. And so what I very mean uh, very directly is we have a short-term communication of the research findings problem, and then we have a long-term we've learned a bunch of stuff that is probably still relevant. We have no idea on how to make that useful or you know impactful beyond the initial study would you say that's fair you kind of like blew my mind a little bit uh <laughs> in a good or a bad way well in a in, i mean in a, in a good way as whoa and in a bad way like oh i don't know what to say now because you just so do the chronic thing again <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I'm going to start again. At, yeah, I'm going to start at the beginning because I think that's the only way. This I'm, is really exciting for people that are listening to you explain something sure, twice. Sure. Everybody else rewind. I can't rewind. Yeah, I'm kind of like a cassette tape. I, you can't. I have to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the acute problem is communicating what it is we've learned at that point in time from the study, right? So let's say we did usability testing. We have to share something that we've learned from that, like right now. Yep immediately, right? Short term. The uh, chronic or longer term problem that I'm finding is happening is you've got organizations that say did uh, 40 usability tests over the last 12 months. And they know, right, just as you and I would as researchers, know that they've gathered a bunch of information that's relevant, not only from the point in time they shared the findings, but things that could be you know, that could lead to new innovation, as you may or may not like to use yeah. that term. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's like the longer term or the chronic problem. Right. Right. And I liked how you asked the question because you sort of skipped the acute question, which is a frequently asked question. How do you share research results? And the way you asked it to me and what it made me think about was more about the chronic problem. Um, but that's a really great way to frame it, I think. And of course, they're tied together. Um and, and, you know, it's, is it a culture problem? Is it a process problem? Is it a, you know, an infrastructure? I guess that's where I use the wet dream misnomer. That's sort of an infrastructure problem. Therefore, you solve it with infrastructure. Um, you know, and this is going to vary if you're like a seven-person company or if you're a, you know, a 700-person company. How many products do you have? What's your turnover? How old are you? Um, you know, think about uh, Aaron Walter's sort of... Uh, timeline of how companies grow he has a really nice like a whole presentation about when they're this size they have these problems they make these kinds of mistakes they sort things out at this this way um there's also a piece here too i'll just while i'm sort of referencing everybody who i'm sure are all guests and have already said all these things anyway um um chris Avore from nasdaq has a, a design research maturity model um, there's a lot of a million maturity models out there and they're all provocative, but this is the first one I've seen about, you know, where are we at in terms of research? So he kind of, as like a lot of maturity models do, he sort of breaks the different organizational types down and looks at, 
uh, who's funding it, who's a customer of it, what kind of questions are being answered, how is it being used to sort of change what's being done. So you might, if you're a usability testing only company, you just don't have the, it, it's not, the problem isn't about the data. The problem is you're not really looking for or have any ability to act on this other kind of information that might be in your data. So like worry about, worry about moving up the maturity curve uh, before you worry about, you know, your, well, we have all these studies, what are we going to do? So I think that's sort of the, then that becomes the, the underpinning kind of thing to address is what are we doing with research as a company, let alone, you know, what do we have too much of or not enough of? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very useful point to, to just recognize where you are in maturity, I think is absolutely the right word. And I know that we use that in a lot of different areas of design or business, but it is super appropriate here to say how mature is our practice. So even within, right, how mature is our business and its business model and all of that, but how mature is our practice, meaning our meaning design and product, right? I'll lump those together. How mature is that practice itself within that organization as well, I think is a very useful distinction to call out. Cool. So we talked about a lot of different stuff. Why is research important? How would we get started in doing this? How do we make sense <laughs> of the things that we learned and sharing that out? I would zoom way out, Steve, and just kind of ask you, you know, for those of us doing UX and assuming that user research is part of that, from your observations, what is something you think that we really should be focusing on that we're not as an industry? Yeah, I'm going to get a little process. Um, I, I, my answer to that is um, it goes back to a little bit what we were talking about uh, and some of the, the previous threads here. I think people don't do enough with the data they gather. Like, I think that's the biggest opportunity to do, to have the research have more value. And, and value, of course, mean to, to, to extract every bit of insight out of the research, you have to go back to the data. Um, and I think, I think because of timelines and because maybe of a lack of awareness of process, people are sort of, they're, they're debriefers. Hey, we talked to so-and-so, this and this happened. Okay, well, let's put it on the whiteboard or let's get our stickies out and color code it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's based on what I remember happening or what stands out for me. Um, I think people are reluctant to make the commitment of time to go back to the data, to go watch videos again, to read transcripts, to really dive into all of it. And I'll tell you, there is so much more there. Uh, the distortions that we create in our debriefs um, are just astonishing. Like you, you hear things, you're like, here's the top thing. Um, it wasn't there. Or it was there, but it was really in a very different context. Um, you know, you can't, you just, even if you're an observer and you're not running the session, what you think you heard at the moment or what you wrote down in your notes that you then go back to an hour or a day or a month later versus what actually happened is really, really different. Um, and I'm, I'm less concerned with being wrong than I am with 
missing the depth. Do you know what I mean? Those are sort of different. Sure. Uh, um, so that, you know, the research produces, uh, you know, when we talked about those mental models of how the company thinks versus how the, the people think, um, you can get these sort of very shallow shallow results, or you can get these more calm. I, I think about nuance. Nuance is sort of the difference between, you know, mediocre research and great research. And, and nuance is hard to tease apart. You have to kind of go back and spend time with it and, and think about what you don't understand and debate it and discuss it and like, you know, hypothesize and extrapolate. What would they have said if we'd asked them this? You know, it's not a question that you can answer, but that debate among researchers and, and people doing synthesis starts to really force you to dig much deeper into what you're seeing on, in this video, what you're seeing in this transcript. Um, so I'm just, you know, uh, what if, uh, there's, there's always a ratio, right? For every hour of data you collect, you should be spending two or three hours analyzing it. I, I suspect, and I don't, I, I, this is just more of a hypothesis based on conversation, that uh, the opposite is true. That, you know, for every hour you're spending sort of, you know, five minutes writing up a, a note to, to put on the wiki or the, you know, or the Slack channel for somebody um, and not tearing into it and making a big mess and making yourself crazy to sort of create uh, something completely new. Um, and that's the analysis synthesis, right? Analysis is take something, break it down into small pieces. Synthesis is take those pieces and build it up into something new. Um, and that transformation of something new is hard. It's creative. It doesn't feel very safe um, in terms of, you know, fidelity to what people said. And that can be intimidating, I think, to people. But boy, again, I'm repeating myself. There's just so much to be gained from doing that. And, uh, you know, if I could urge everyone one thing, it would be that, like, go back to your data. Yeah. No, I actually really love that answer. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit biased for two reasons. I'll get the obvious one out of the way. The things that we're doing at Aurelius are about collecting that data and reexamining that and really making sense from it, not from just the point in time, but also kind of prolonged, right? That chronic problem we talked about. Uh, but the second selfish reason why is, uh, well, frankly speaking, I agree with you 120%. And a lot of the things that I've told teams, right, that I've worked with is I've said collecting research data is really giving you an answer to the what, and that's very important. But the most important question we can ask about that thing that we learned is why, why that exists, right? So we can ask a question, we can get an answer or answers to that question. But where we get into the really good stuff, I think what you would call the nuance is by asking ourselves why that's the case. And and I completely agree with you. We won't have the answers to why we heard what we heard, but it's that application of our own worldview on the what, you know, the, the answers that we got from people that gets really interesting and rich conversations where we start to go, oh, wow, there's a new perspective here that I'm starting to form an understanding of that I did not have before. And that's where you start to build in, again, that word we don't like to use, but still is applicable, innovation. That's where you start to get to those mm. light bulb moments. That's beautiful. And yeah, you're allowed to use the word innovation. I, I'm i just sheepish about it in case sure. someone says, well, what do you mean by it? I don't know, but with within our, yeah, that's just, anyway, what you said was really lovely. 
Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm only paraphrasing you, so I mean. No, no, you said something else. <laughs> you. That was a yes. That was a yes, and that was okay. good. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit of a, a left field question. Do you have a quote that is your favorite that is perhaps relevant to the you know the world of UX and or user research? Um, on my desk, I have a. Um, uh, 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 an Andy Warhol poster, and I don't have it in front of me as we're talking, so I'm going to probably misquote it, but um, it says something like, uh, I find people endlessly fascinating. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, it's we're, not, we're not doing art, and we're not doing whatever Warhol was doing in terms of changing the conversation about art. Uh, but I like that phrase... Um, I like that phrase and that source as it's just sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of a, you know, you're a researcher, you should be saying that you love people and find them interesting. Uh, sometimes we don't, right? Sometimes people are boring or we're bored by them or uh, we can't kind of get into it or sometimes we just we don't always have that. Um, so it's, yeah, yeah, you know, Warhol is just such a, a compelling figure for, the way he looked at the world and the way he looked at, you know, making beautiful things as work. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, that's my, that's my thing. I, again, I may be saying it wrong, but I find people endlessly fascinating when said by Andy Warhol, uh, is pretty, is pretty cool. Awesome. Well, that checks out. So Steve, this has been a really awesome conversation and I want to be respectful of your time and, but before we wrap it up, I know that you've got a number of things you've written and even more recently, anything that you'd like to share with uh, the listeners of this episode? Yeah, maybe I have three things to recommend or three and a half things. Um, you know, that question where to get started uh, um, was, is a great one. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, my first book is called Interviewing Users. And uh it's if you go to the webs, the Rosenfeld Media was the publisher. They have a page for that book. There's all kinds of resources on that page that are downloadable for free. Um, so buy the book. Uh, but you know, there's uh, you know, a guide interviewing guides and scre sample screeners and uh, debrief worksheets and just things to kind of help you figure out some of the mechanics and processes of it. Uh, there's videos of, you know, me talking about doing research, sort of more beyond what we talked about today. I think it's a great learning opportunity with that book. Um, I wrote a book that came out in December that's called uh, Doorbell's Danger and Dead Batteries. And it's a book uh, that has, I think, almost 65 stories from other researchers besides myself of of things that have happened to them out in the field, the real life stories uh, that, that, and you know, so that's another way to learn. I think interviewing users is sort of a text in its structure, but um, reading about what happens to other researchers, where things go wrong, um, you know, what challenges they face, what things, it's, it's, that's sort of like the graduate course, I think. Um, so people that have had a little bit of experience in the field uh, might find that, it's entertaining. The stories are sad. They're frustrating. They provoke you, I think, to, to look at what would you do differently. Um, so these researchers, I think, are being very brave and exposing their own failures, in quotes, 
uh, to a larger audience so that we see what they learned. Uh, you'll read in the book what some of my takeaways are from it. So I'll recommend that book as well. And then um, since people that are listening to this have some affinity for podcasts, uh, I'll also recommend uh, Dollars to Donuts, which is my user research podcast. Uh, and this has a really specific focus. It's people that are uh, in-house, inside corporations, who are in leadership roles for user research. And we didn't explicitly say this, but it's sort of buried, I think, in our conversation. There were no leaders in user research inside organizations uh, you know, five years ago. Uh, you know, user research has come in-house. These large teams exist that, didn't ex- that weren't there before. And companies are recognizing it as a separate discipline. Um, you know, there's some relationship to user experience, maybe, or some other part of the business. But it, but it serves as its own thing. And so you have this challenge of, of what does leadership look like and, and, and how are people um, you know, driving, driving user research at a, at a certain level of scale, I guess. Um, so yeah, that, there's two seasons of that. I think there'll be more coming up someday, but I encourage people to check that out. So that's three things. I'll, that's probably plenty for people to, to go check out. Great. No. And so, Steve, for those of you who may or may not know Steve, he's been contributing to our field for a very long time. I've been following his work and I am a fan, admirer, and uh, very much a pleasure to have you on the show. Those all sound like a lot of fun resources, especially the your most recent book uh, about doorbells, danger, and dead batteries. We'll make sure to include those as links in the show notes. And uh, we thank you for listening to this podcast, but let me just tell you that we listen to Steve's podcast, Dollars to Donuts, when we're not making our own, and it's fantastic. We encourage you to go check that out, especially if you're looking to learn about user research and particularly re, uh, leadership in that field. So, Steve Portugal, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Great conversation. Awesome. I completely agree. All right, everyone. We will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast. And also, you can fill out our podcast survey where you can let us know if someone awesome that we should have on the show and even tell us about the things you would want to hear about, topics that are interesting for you. You can check that out in the show notes or on our website. Thanks for listening to Aurelius Podcast, talking about product strategy and design strategy. We are the first platform of its kind to help you solve the right problems for your customers and your business and build products and services that truly matter. You can check us out at AureliusLab.com. That is www.A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. You can check us out on Twitter at AureliusLab and Instagram AureliusLab. We'll see you next time.